Hey, let's get started today. Today, I want to talk about unconditional love. I want to talk about continuing on with the series that we have been going through um, with the 11th command. And you would maybe have wondered why we have an 11th command, because Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So therefore, there are 11 commands in the Bible, if Jesus added one more. And today, I want to, I want to look at uh, uh, what I call the unconditional love problem, the problem of unconditional love. And who would ever have imagined that that would be a problem ever? Recently, I had the chance to um, be a part of someone uh, being baptized and uh, we have a, a brother in the church called Marcelo who, who uh, had come to me a while ago and said, hey, what do, you, what do you want me to do in the church? And I said, just get people saved. Just tell people about Christ and get them connected to the body of Christ. And he said, all right, I can do that. So the next day he went to work and uh, he, he met uh, one of his workmates and he said, hey, have you ever thought about uh, uh, Jesus? And, he go, and the guy goes, well, yeah, a little bit. And he goes, uh, have you ever thought about following him? And he said, you know, I do need to follow him. And he said, well, do you want, you want to give your life to Christ now? I'll pray with you. And the guy goes, okay. <laughs> and that was it. And I'm like, wow. He just said, okay. And he said, yeah. And so he brought him to church, etc. but he lives on the other side of town, so he can't really make it to this, this part of town to, to come to our church regularly, so he's been attending somewhere else. But soon after that, Marcelo gave me a call, and he said, hey, um, Orlando said he wants to get baptized. Can we get him baptized? And I said, sure, but we do it at the end of every month. And he said, no, he wants to get baptized now. And I said, well, why can't he just get baptized at the church that he's at? And he said, he wants to be baptized with you. I said, I'm already baptized, okay. And he goes, no, I want to be baptized with, uh, by you. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's no problem, we can do it. I said, but we're not scheduled to, to do this until the end of the month. And he said, well, he really wants to do it now. And, uh, and he said, if I find a lake, will you come down and baptize him in the lake, right? So I'm like, sure, that sounds like the Floridian way. If you do that in Scotland, baptize someone in Scotland, you're killing them. That's what you do. They get frozen as they go down. You come up and go, well, I already went to heaven right there, right? Um, so, so I'm like, sure, let's do it. So I had taught, he said, well, I, he wants to do it. Can we do it this Sunday? And I'm like, that's tomorrow. And he said, yeah. And I'm like, you know, I thought about it. And I'm like, well, I want to be a part of something good. So yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's do it. So I'd already taught three services that Sunday and I was dog tired. And I'm like, hey, where is this lake? I was thinking it was around the corner. It's way down by the airport. And I'm like, how much do I want to see this guy baptized, right? So, so I'm like, you know, you've got, to be, you've got to be a part of something good. So I drive all the way down there and there's a little park there. And so Marcelo's there with, uh, with Orlando and, and he brought his mother and he brought his girlfriend. And, and, and of course, there was a children's party over in the corner in this park. And I'm thinking, uh, this is going to be fun. They've got a children's party watching us doing a baptism in the, in the lake, right? They're probably standing there going, we thought we ordered clowns, but we didn't realize we had three bozos going into the lake, just going into the lake like that. Do you accept Jesus? Like that and coming up, right? So we did it anyway. But before I baptized him, I said, why do you want to get baptized? And he said this. He said, um, because I've done things my own way and it's not worked out, and I know I need to get right with God, so I just, I want to walk with God, I need to do the right thing, and he said to get baptized, so that's what I'm going to do. Now, I was standing there going, what an awesome answer. I mean, it was perfect. It was like he got the whole concept of what following Christ was all about, right? And so, and so when I realized that there was one thing he didn't say. He didn't say, because God loves me so much. 
This is what I want to talk about today. I believe that we have used this word unconditional love so much in the church that we have created ourselves two problems. In fact, you won't even find the word or the phrase unconditional love in the Bible at all. Here's the two problems I believe that we've created for ourselves. The first one is this. If God is so loving, how do you explain suffering in the world? If there's all this suffering in the world, how do you explain it? I mean, if he so loves us, get rid of the suffering. Come on. You men to love us so much. The second problem I think it's created for us is this. If God is so loving, how can he send anyone to hell? And just, just so you know, hell is not just an ongoing carnival that you have fun by yourself and you eat whatever you want without your father telling you what to do, right? Hell is basically no presence of God. Now, some people have said, well, gee, if God's not around, that's fine. I've got no one to tell me what to do. But let me tell you, God is the source of life. So therefore, hell does not have life. So if God is not there, then it's going to be something that is pretty horrific. But if he loves us so much, come on, he loves me so much. I'm, 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 if I'm the, the father's child, surely he can't send anyone to hell. And most of our understanding of what love is has actually come from John 3.16, which is, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. When I was growing up, do you remember watching like uh, football games or soccer games and there was always someone at the end of the, of the goal who was holding a big sign that said John 3.16? Do you remember that? They don't do it. I've never seen it anymore. Does anyone else still do it? Has anyone been the one who did it? Were you the one who did it? Holding the big sign, just John 3.16. Well, this has now become probably the center point of what people understand about the gospel of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Seems like it makes sense. But here's the three problems I believe that unconditional love creates. It's this. Unconditional love implies we're lovable, right? It's like God is up in heaven and, and he just went, oh, I just so love those people. They're just so cute. Look at them. They're gorgeous. I can just take your cheeks and pinch like that. They're just gorgeous. Look at you. Who's a lovely boy? Who's a lovely boy, right? God just so loves us. We're so lovable. Here's the bad news. In Isaiah, it says our righteous acts are like a dirty rag. If you read in your translation, it probably says dirty rag. The original translation says, like a used na uh, sanitary napkin. Like a used menstrual napkin. None of us are going, that's exactly how I feel, right? That's a, it's a, yeah, that's disgusting. It's horrible. Yuck. Listen, the Bible says that's what our acts are like. That's what our righteous acts by ourselves outside of God is like. And if that's true, then we're not that lovable. Bad news. If we're lovable as we are, then why do I need to change? If God loves me so much as I am, then I don't need to change. I'm just so lovable. Look at my cheeks. Come on. Number two, unconditional love implies that there can't be a hell. The argument goes like this. If he loves us so much, how can he send anyone to hell? Look at your child. You probably thought a couple of times of sending them to hell, right? But really, would you do it? I couldn't do it. I mean, even when my kids have been the worst that they are, I couldn't bring myself to do it because I'm, it's just, I couldn't do it, right? And like I say, a couple of times you've threatened to sell them, send them to hell and you've wanted to send them to hell. At least just give them a small taste, hang them over the fire and just go, that's what I'll be like if you don't do what I told you to do, right? 
But that's, 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 we have this idea that, that God will never send anyone to hell because he loves us so much. But the problem we have is this. If there is no hell, then I have no free will. Why? Because I'll be forced to have to go to heaven. I'm forced to have to spend time with God for the rest of my life. If I'm a free will agent, if I'm a free will creature, I get to choose God or no God. I get to choose that. And if I choose no God, that's called hell. Here's the interesting thing about, about hell, right? There is one person in the Bible that talks a lot about hell in the Bible. He talked the most about hell. In fact, we get most of our information, our understanding about hell from this one person. And he talked about it nine different times. And his name is Jesus. He spoke about it. So God himself spoke about the existence of this. The third problem with unconditional love is that it implies there's no judgment left. There's no judgment left. If Christ has paid for our sin, he's paid for all of our sin is what the Bible says. He has paid for all of our sin. The problem with that idea is that when it says, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall have eternal life. And that's not just a, I think he exists. Yeah, I think I can accept he exists. No, believes means to go on following, to go on believing, to go on uh, obeying. Uh, 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 whoever goes on believing and obeying God shall have eternal life is essentially what it's saying. If there is no punishment, then there is no reason to stop sinning and God is a tolerant God. There's no reason. Why? Why do I have to stop sinning if God's not going to do anything about it, right? So when we have lost this idea of hell, of punishment, then we now have subscribed to the whole thing of uh, uh, unconditional love. There's an old story that says that, um, you, you, ever, you ever heard of that pottery called uh, Wedgwood China? Have you ever heard of Wedgwood China? It's very, very famous. It's like the, it's like the, the standard of the best China. And it was, it was made by a guy in the 1800s called Josiah Wedgwood, and he was such a perfectionist. And um, one of the things he used to do was he walked around with a little hammer on his tool belt so that when his workers were making the, the China, when they're making their plates or their teapots or their cups or whatever it was, if he found a small flaw in it, he would just take his hammer and go, smash. And I'm like, I want that guy's job, right? He would just smash the thing because he would not accept anything but the best from everything that was made from his workshop. If he saw a small flaw and it wasn't perfect, he would smash it. Surely God would never do that to us. If it's not perfect, he would smash it. No, God wouldn't do that to us. Let me tell you, Jesus said, be perfect as God is perfect. Be perfect as the Father is perfect. God cannot accept anything but perfect. I have no chance in heaven of ever being perfect except through what Jesus Christ has done for me, except through what he has done for me and gives to me. But then I actually have to receive that. I've got to put it into my life. I've got to follow him in order to be able to exist in heaven in the presence of a perfect God. Are you following me so far? This is why these things must exist. All right, what I wanna do right now is I want to do something kind of maybe a little fun because um, I'm going to look at uh, 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 two things about love here. I believe that because we've had this problem of understanding love, in our language, we really only have like one word for love. But in the New Testament, there's actually four different words for love. And the two loves that I'm going to look at is affection and, a, and action. There's actually two other loves called addiction and, a, and attraction as well. But the two loves that is related to God, to God's love in the New Testament, 
is the word affection and the word action, right? So let's look at this. The word affection is a friendship love. It's a brotherly love. It comes from your mind and it comes from your heart. It has a lot of feeling. In fact, the word there is actually filial, which is where we get our word Philadelphia, right? I don't know what the Delphia means, but Philly, you know, when you're eating that cheese, Philadelphia cheese, it's love cheese, right? Never wanted to hear that in your life before, did you? Okay, let's look at the other word, action love. Action love is care or mercy or charity. In fact, many times in your Bible, in the original language, it doesn't actually use the word love. It means it actually uses the word charity. So that comes from the will. There's no feeling in this whatsoever. You don't have to feel love for someone. You just act love towards them. You do something of charity, of mercy, of goodness, of caring for them. That's action love. So we have a difference between affection love and action love. You follow me so far? Okay, so at this point, I want to do something fun, right? I want to do a game of Guess That Love, right? Are you ready to do this? Let's play the game Guess the Love. Points equal prizes. Who wants to go to heaven? Yeah, everybody does. Okay. So I've got four scriptures here for you, right? And I'm going to get you to guess affection or action. And if you fail, you go to hell, right? And if you, I'm kidding, you don't. If you win, you go to heaven. You don't. You have to still go through Christ. Okay, so here's the the eight different scriptures we're going to look at. Matthew 5, verse 44. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, that should be easy, right? Because it's the one, remember, it's the ones that are not lovable. They're persecuting you. You don't technically feel love for them. So what is it actually saying? There's There's your key, right? Here we go. Affection or love, affection or love. Who says affection? Excellent. Who says action? Yes, it was action. Well done. Number two, here we go. John 10, 17, the reason my father loves me, is what Jesus said, is that I lay my life down, I lay down my life only to take it up again. Affection or action, affection or action. Who says affection? Who says action? Yes, those who chose action are correct. Those who chose affection are questioning your own faith. Third one, 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Affection or action, affection or action. Who says affection? Who says action? You failed. It's affection. There we go. Now you're really questioning your faith. Okay, let's go to the next one. Number four, 1 Corinthians 13.4.7. Now, of course, this is the wedding scripture. This is like sacred. If you get this one wrong, your marriage is on the rocks. Come on. Look at this. This is the one where we feel so like teary-eyed when we see the bride coming down. It's like we have to say the scripture now. This is a gorgeous moment. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Affection or action. Affection or action. Who says affection? Oh, some of you went, I don't know. Am I going to be in trouble when I get home? Who says action? Who wants to just put both of their hands up right now so we can win? Here we go. It was action. Wow. Oh, so I don't have to feel love for my wife? Good luck with that one. Okay, I'm not going to answer that one. Okay. Here's the next one. 1 Peter 4, 8. Love covers over a multitude of sin. Affection or action? Who says affection? Who says action? It is action. Well done. Here we go. 
Last two, I believe, we've got Ephesians 3, 17 to 19. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the large holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Who says affection? Who says action? And here we go. It is action. Whoa, don't you feel like a failure now? Yeah, see how much you need the love of God? You're a failure. You're not lovable. Here we go. Two more, two more left. Okay, Revelation 3.19. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Affection. Oh, there's only three half ways. Action. It's affection, see? I know, I know. You know what I love about this is you're just all accepting whatever I'm saying, right? Because maybe I'm just totally winding you up on this one. Study this for yourself, by the way, but it truly is. It's affection. Those whom I love, I have affection for, I rebuke and discipline. John 3.16, this is the last one. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Who says affection? Who says action? Okay, it's nearly 50-50. It's actually action. There's no affection in this whatsoever. I'll tell you where the problem is. I'll tell you, some of you are poking each other going, <laughs> beat you, you don't get love. Right? This is interesting because I think the problem has come that we have taken the word so and we've applied our understanding to it. That God so loves us. He's pinching our cheeks and he's just like, lovey dovey, I just love you so much, right? But the word so there actually means thus. For God thus loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Let me ask you a question. You know John three sixteen, right? Do you know John three fifteen? Do you know John three fourteen? Most of us don't know what it's talking about because the word for means therefore. Therefore, in the same way, or therefore, thus, God loved the world. What was he talking about? This is what he was talking about. He was referring to a story of what happened in the Old Testament when the Israelites were following God in the, in the, in the, through the desert and they became very disobedient and wicked and started really being brutal towards each other. And God had enough of it and he removed his grace from them and these asps came in and started attacking them and biting them and killing them. And suddenly they were all, we're dying, we're dying. They ran back to God and said, God, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're sorry. We'll do it your way. Just take away the asps and don't kill us. And God said, he took this, he went to Moses and he said, take some bronze and fashion it into a snake and then put it on a pole and plant it in the middle of the, of the, of the, 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 the camp. And everybody that comes to that snake will look upon it and they will be healed. That's the way I will answer their cries for mercy. Now, if you looked on the side of ambulances, have you ever noticed that little symbol of like a, a pole that has a snake that's wrapped all the way around it? Have you seen that before? Now, hopefully when you're looking at ambulances, you'll actually see it. That's because it's talking about that specific story. Now, in our understanding of unconditional love of a lovey-dovey father, we would look at that and go, whoa, 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 whoa. God, they already said they're sorry. Surely you would just say, okay, well, let's forget about it. Okay, let's just kiss and make up and let's hug this one out and we'll just put, we'll just put that all behind us and we'll, we'll just forget about it. No, God said, you have to come to me and go through this in order to show that you're repentant towards me. Does that sound like the God of love that you'd ever imagined before? 
And what John was saying when he was writing this, he said, and in the same way, Jesus has been raised up on the cross, and, the, and, G, and he said that no one comes to the Father but through me. In the same way, he has been raised up on the cross, and unless you come through him on that cross, you cannot come to the Father. That's what John 3.16 is talking about. Wow. Let's look at this. I want to give you five facts about love in the New Testament. The first one is this. Action, love, is only mentioned 218 times in the New Testament. The affection, love, word, is only mentioned 35 times in the New Testament. That's a whole lot less. Our understanding of this affection at God is now shrinking. Here's another interesting fact. The only times it was ever mentioned, the word affection was ever mentioned in the New Testament was only to believers. In fact, when you read, if you read in the book of Matthew, you won't find the word love. If you read in the book of Luke, you won't find the word love. If you look in the book of Mark, you won't find the word love. You only find the word love in the book of John. John was only writing to believers, not to unbelievers. In fact, he said it at the end of the Gospel of John. I write this to you so that you will keep on believing and walking with Christ. He wrote it to believers. Here's another interesting fact. Jesus and the apostles never preached a gospel of love to unbelievers. If you can find it for me, I'd love to read it. But I've searched this out. I've looked into it. You'll never find them ever saying, God loves you so much, so therefore will you follow Christ? How many times do you think the word love is mentioned in the book of Acts? <clears throat> think about it. This is the first church. They have just seen the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. They are following. This is the, this is the disciples. They have made the first church, and it's growing on leaps and bounds, and it's growing and growing and growing and growing. Five times? Ten times? Do you think it's mentioned 15? What about 20 times? I'll tell you, it's not mentioned once in the book of Acts. The word love is nowhere to be found in the book of Acts. So then maybe what we need to do is ask this question. What did the apostles preach then? What is it that they spoke? They spoke two different things. They always said that God is good. Now I wonder if we have kind of destroyed the word good in our everyday language. It's like, how is your day? It's been good. How is your meal? That's good. How is work? Good. But the fact is the word good means perfect, and in a sense, we, uh, 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 we have actually used this word good to try and describe anything and everything, but it should only really describe God. In fact, when the rich young ruler came running up to Jesus and he said, hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, you know, he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, why are you calling me good? There's only one person that's good, and that's God. He said, you can't just call anybody good. You have to call God good. Jesus made a point of saying that good is something that is very important that can only be applied to God. In fact, God used the word good himself, and the first time he did it was in the beginning when he was creating the heavens and the earth, and every time he did something, he went, that's good. That is good. And so I believe we've been called to a good God, not to a God that loves you, but a God who is good by himself with or without you. You see what I'm saying? God's not defined by how good we are, how bad we are, or how great we are, what we have done or what we haven't done. He's defined by his own goodness. The second thing that he, they, they used to preach was this. God is good and God is righteous. God is righteous. Why is this important? 
Because I believe that if God is a righteous God, it means that he is just. He is doing what is right. He's not gonna overlook anything. And therefore, he has to have justice. He has to do what's right. Sometimes I wonder if the problem that we have with, with this whole righteous God is that we want him to overlook the stuff and pretend like half of that stuff didn't exist. And therefore, we're passing it on to other people that whatever you've done doesn't really matter. It does matter. That's why Jesus had to die. He's a righteous God. And all the apostles always said that they preached a gospel of righteousness. Wow. In Psalm 145, it says this. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and gracious in all his acts. That means he's good. He's both righteous and he is good. So how should we love them? Let's ask that question as we're finishing today. How should we love? How should we love? The first one I wanna suggest is this. We love out of affection for the Father. We love out of affection for the Father. Why? Because we're so grateful for what he's done. If you have truly become a Christ follower, then you've gotten what he has done for you. You're so grateful, you, can't, um, you cannot imagine why he would go so far to let his own son die just so that you can now become acceptable to God. That is mind-blowing. And when you feel and see what he has done for you, you start to manifest that love inside of yourself because you get it, right? You don't get to feel that love before you get it. You get it and then you feel that love. The second thing I want to suggest to you is this. We love out of the affection for the Father, but we also love through actions to others. We love through actions to others. What that means is this. Other people don't have to be lovable before we do something about it. Other people don't have to become worthy of our love before we go love, go love them. In fact, if anything, we don't have to get any results from what we do to other people or how we serve other people. We just do it because we love the Father, because we feel affection for the Father. And if we don't get results from the people that we serve, we don't need that. We don't need to be sustained because we're loved back. We don't need to be sustained because we're thanked by anybody. This is what gives us the power to take our hands and put it in the mud and the mire and get down and dirty and to help people. Listen, many of us want to feel the love, the affection of the Father, but you're never gonna feel it unless you get down and dirty and be about the business that he was about. Love one another as I have loved you. You wanna feel that love? You need to be about that love. You need to go do that love. Many of us want to feel the presence of God. We want to feel the presence of God's love and just the power within us. But you will never move the Spirit until you move to do the things that God loves. Jesus said, I was in prison and you didn't visit me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me water. I was hungry, you didn't feed me. I was naked and you didn't dress me. If you want to feel the presence of the Father, if you want to feel the buzz, the power of the Holy Spirit within you, you've got to be about his business. I find with my children, I don't stop loving them when they are disobedient. I still will act love towards them, but they're gonna feel my disappointment. They're not gonna feel my affection. They're gonna feel my disappointment because if they're disobedient, they're not pleasing me. If I'm unpleased, if I have displeasure, then I'm gonna make sure that they feel my displeasure. Why? Because I want them to do what's right. What we have done is given awards to all of our children. We've told them that there's, they can do nothing wrong and we have set them up to not know how to walk with God when they need to feel our displeasure. They need to feel the, the, the punishment that comes with doing what's wrong. Does that mean you've withdrawn your love? No, no, no. You're still acting love to them. 
You're merciful to them. You're looking after them. You're always going to keep giving your love to them, but they're not going to feel it, and you should never let them feel it until they're obedient. Maybe this is news to you, but this is how God treats you too. If you don't feel close to God, it's not because you haven't repented. It's not because you haven't given your life to Christ. It's because maybe it's because you're not in the field with him. Is he is out in the field doing the work. Go be with him. Go stand beside him. I want you to get this today because it's so important that this is something that has got to be born out of a choice. Recently, I was speaking to Phil Chang and and he told me a story about his little daughter, about six years old, and she was going to Home Depot to do, um, you know, these little classes that you have at Home Depot, maybe you don't know, but, but you can actually take your kids to, to, to Home Depot, and they can do classes where they build things, right? They can, they, can, they can, I don't know what they build there, but they build stuff, right? Hopefully, they learn how to build a house, so I don't have to do it, right? Um, so he was taking her there, and she said, Daddy, can I make a heart for the teacher? And he said, yeah, sure, but we, we don't know who the teacher is. And she goes, it doesn't matter. I just want to make a heart for him. And he said she was so adamant that she wanted to remember to make this heart. So she cut out this heart and she made this heart and she was going to go to, she said, who's the teacher? She arrived, who's the teacher? Who's, she was just looking around, who's the teacher? Nobody knew who the teacher was. And when he was suddenly pointed out, that's the teacher over there. She ran up to him and gave him the heart. The love was already inside of her. It doesn't matter who it was that she was going to give it to. It was already manifested inside of her. This is the type of love that we must be filled with in God. That doesn't matter who we're called to love. It just overflows because of what we have learned about the Father. He loves me so much. I need to go and act love to other people. I'm not looking to make them feel loved. I'm making them I'm making them know that they're loved by the Father through what I do. Does this make sense to you? I hope you don't receive this as a rebuke today, but I hope you see this as, a, as, a, as, a, as something that is very important because Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. This is not something the gospel is just ready for everybody and anybody. It's only for those that wants to turn and look to Jesus and follow him.